This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined by Felix Shu, who is a crypto geek, early adopter, and NFT collector. So we're talking all things crypto and blockchain and NFTs. Felix, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks so much, Michael. It's my honor to be here. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to share, you know, more about crypto, NFTs, DeFi, you know, what's going on in space uh, with everyone. So share a little bit about where you work in the blockchain space specifically. And as I mentioned that you were in fact an early adopter. So share a bit about how you got into the space as well. Sure. Um, so I got into the space back in early 2018. Uh, I was working uh, at a hedge fund in New York. And after that, you know, I was working at a venture capital uh, in Beijing, where is my hometown. So, um, you know, so I was in finance for quite, quite some time, about uh, four and a half years before I jumped into crypto. I jumped into blockchain technology uh, back in early 2018. So I, uh, so with, my, with a couple of co-founders, we founded ARPA, uh, which, is, which is a privacy preserving computation network. Uh, that what we what we do is is called threshold BLS cryptographic algorithms, and uh, our applications are uh, verifiable random number generator. Uh, so essentially, you know, we provide transparent randomness to blockchain decentralized apps and also uh, for blockchain consensus as well. Uh, we are still building out that product. Um, so uh, really, like uh, I feel like the space has been growing a lot since uh, since when I joined. Uh, in the past four years, actually, like within the past two years, we've seen you know uh, you know a big growth in DeFi and also very big growth in NFTs. So essentially, I feel I'm still very optimistic about the future of blockchain as a whole, right? Not only about technology infrastructure. And also about more and more applications, more and more creators, uh, more and more, you know, games getting onto blockchain and then be part of the community. How do you step in with things like privacy and I guess there's an element of transparency as well, where that's one of the main perks of blockchain to begin with. So do you improve it? How do you step in and, and take over from that aspect? Sure. Um, <clears throat> just give you one example, right? Um, so there are, uh, there are many places that we need uh, random numbers. Uh, no, uh, whatever is on, like when we play video games, um, when, we, uh, when we do like lottery uh, or in finance, right? right? There are many places that we require, you know, verifiable like random numbers. Uh, the, the random numbers need to be really random, right? Because you know, we are picking the winners here. So that's why we think that uh, random number generator is part of the uh, blockchain infrastructure and it should, uh, it should actually increase the transparency of you know, all the ecosystem upon blockchain. Uh, and actually like uh, we pivot a little bit from what we, what, what we started in 2018, because back then, we were focusing more on the privacy side. Um, I still, you know, like after all these years, I still think privacy is still a very important aspect for crypto. Actually, like when um, Satoshi Nakamoto first started Bitcoin, uh, his, like his end goal is to keep everyone's privacy on their assets. However, because right now the, block, the blockchain infrastructure uh, everything is open, right? So all the data, like how much money you have in your wallet, as long as the wallet getting doxed, right? Everyone can see your transactions, your balance, you know, what kind of apps that you integrate, uh, that, that you interacted with, right? So really like we have uh, transparency in the space. However, we still don't have privacy, right? So as a team at ARPA, you know, we are working towards, um, basically two, you know, two pillars, right? The first pillar is being transparent so that we can provide, you know, more fairness, right? For example, the random numbers. And second is privacy. Um, so a lot of the technologies, including, you know, threshold signature scheme and also, uh, also uh, multi-party computation, 
know, those are focusing on uh, the two pillars. Do you find that you have to answer quite difficult questions to be able to balance those two things? Because people might want privacy, but then where does that then start to eat into? But transparency has to happen as well because it's built into the way the blockchain technology works because you can see where it's coming from where it's going and everything in between you've got keys haven't you that sort of link everything together how do you answer those difficult questions regarding like preferences maybe or suspiciously holding back and using privacy as the scapegoat to withhold certain things Mm -hmm. That's a great question, actually. <laughs> I think a lot of people are talking about, you know, there's no kind of overlapping between being transparent and being private. Um, but it's actually not true. Uh, we can be both, right? So both privacy preserving and transparent, because as long as you can prove anything, right? So, for example, like the, um, the things that the, the, the cryptographic algorithms that we are working on is part of the uh, verifiable computation spectrum, right? So essentially, um, you know, the, uh, the nodes that working together, their output is actually verifiable through the whole cryptographic computation process. However, however, like we do not need to show, you know, what's really going on during the, com during the computation. So meaning that you can keep the privacy, but you can still have cryptographically proved um, transparency, right? Um, so that's how, you know, we try to combine both. But, you know, it's a very hard problem to solve, actually. Uh, right now, like a lot of people, like in our space, uh, we are researching on zero-knowledge proof, which is another way of verifiable computation. Uh, and also things like multi-party computation and things like threshold signature scheme, right? So there are many routes to privacy plus transparency. And I think, you know, it's actually on the bleeding edge of where this industry is moving to moving forward. That makes sense, actually. Does it speak to an element of permission based? Like, let's say we get a delivery delivered to our house. If it's important, we would sign for it to verify that we are who we say that we are to allow the delivery to take place is it that kind of scheme where if it's sensitive information the person requesting it has also a public element as well that gives the company or entity the ability to verify who would like to see the information is that like the kind of idea that we're trying to get towards I would say, so anything that happens on blockchain should be permissionless, right? So as long as the technology allows, right, um, you can actually do it. I think that that is like the most attractive part about blockchain, right? So you don't have an entity to say that you can do it or not, as long as you apply the rules for, you know, smart contract or for a blockchain, uh, you can actually do anything you want. Um, however, like, for example, like, um, Say like if we want to have subscription-based payment, right? So every every month, for example, a creator has a lot of subscribers, subscribers, and each one of them are paying like monthly like ten dollars. Um, there's actually methods that we can do streaming, like stream payment, right? So every every month, you know, it's like subscribe on uh, via like Apple Pay, right? So every month it will be automatically deducted from your balance. Um, you know, there are many ways that we can kind of mimic the traditional finance, uh, but these things are still new uh, and actually like there are, there are projects that exploring that front as well. I find it fascinating how a lot of the things that we're talking about, some of it's a values-based conversation, isn't it? Because there are some things that we may want to keep to ourselves, but the very nature of the technology means it actually has to be public to enter the space, like to have a, a public wallet kind of thing. There's certain information that you're going to have to make public just to have a wallet. It, it comes with certain responsibilities and certain 
certain things that some people may or may not be happy with. So is it going to be a, a barrier for entry that eventually everybody will have to accept a certain level of transparency, even if you're private, which I'm guessing speaks to a generational thing. Some people are more private than others because of how they grew up or because of what they feel comfortable with is that speaking to going to be in a world where transparency is going to rule over because there are more benefits than negatives interesting um yeah like i I feel like there's still very high user barrier for anyone trying to enter you know the uh, the blockchain space the crypto space right so i think they are around um, 200 million people that trade crypto. Uh, it's actually a big number. Um, however, like most of them like trade using like Coinbase or Binance or some or FTX or some other centralized exchange, right? So the money that you like the assets that you have within those exchanges, they are just a number, right? They are no different between like the number uh, in your bank account, right? So essentially like if you want to take take control of your asset, you have to set up a wallet, a decentralized wallet like MetaMask, right? Like Trust Wallet or like Phantom Wallet, and then you need to write down the seed phrase uh, or or private key and safeguard it in some uh, some very safe place in a in, in a you know in a in your in your home or something, right? So that actually uh, stemmed a lot of people from using, from entering the space, right? From really taking control of their own assets. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the user experience, user journey, there are, there are many things that need to be improved, right? For example, how do we, um, how do we get rid of like writing down seed phrase like this, this part, right? Is it possible that we store the seed phrase on your device in the, in the trusted X, uh, like uh, the secure enclave on your chip. Um, and then like, um, what if, you know, we can just one click and then set up everything, you know, and then like very easy to transfer money using using the, uh, the, the decentralized wallet without paying extra fees, right? For example, right now, every transaction on Ethereum takes like at least like $10 to, to transfer. That's sometimes even worse than a wire transfer. Um, so that's why like people say, you know, Ethereum is for the rich people uh, because like every transaction costs money and every interaction with smart contract costs maybe $30, $50. So it's actually a huge problem. And a lot of people are fighting on those problems uh, to, for example, some scaling issues, uh, some scaling uh, solutions for Ethereum. Uh, we are talking about layer twos, um, zero knowledge proofs, and all these technologies to make Ethereum faster and cheaper. And we have other alternative blockchains like Solana, you know, like Avalanche, right? Those blockchains have different architecture and they are, you know, they, you know, they are written in different languages and they are probably a little more centralized versus Ethereum, but they offer great user experience, less, you know, less fees and faster transactions. Um, so like at the end of the day, like people might opt into alternative blockchains or they might opt into, you know, layer twos, or they can still stick with like Ethereum for the best security. And, uh, um, yeah, so at the end of the day, it's personal choice. Uh, but still, I feel like on the end user, uh, experience, user experience part, there are just many, many things that we can improve. And also back to the question that, um, do we need to sacrifice our privacy by using, you know, decentralized wallet, right? Each of us will have multiple addresses and maybe some of these, these address through transactions, through interaction with smart contract, it get doxxed, right? Big people will know, you know, which this account belongs to. So I feel like right now, like a big theme, like I mentioned before, is the privacy, is the privacy part, right? How do you use verifiable, computation methods like um, like multi-party computation or using like zero knowledge proof to actually protect protect privacy within the account, right? To hide the information that what's in the account, what kind of transactions, what kind of interactions this account did, right? So uh, I feel like in the near future, maybe in the next two to five years, uh, we can see comprehensive solution on 
uh, on the privacy part. I get the impression as well that let's say the user experience becomes a lot more streamlined or more convenient, I guess, for people to do these things. Does that not then bring up a questionable integrity of the system if it feels like it's too easy, like contactless on credit cards and debit cards causing people to overspend because it's becoming too simple to spend? It's almost like, okay, we're going to lose some the infrastructure because it feels too simple and too straightforward to get involved the people start to question it as well mm, okay right so first of all i feel like right now using blockchain is still not as convenient as using uh, paypal or using Venmo or using you know like other payment uh apps uh, however, right, so the, the most amazing part about crypto is really to have control on your own asset, right? So you don't need to worry about anytime, like when the bank, if the bank freezes your assets, you know, anytime when, you know, the bank can go under uh, in extreme situations or some other things happen, right? You just lose that whatever amount in the bank, right? So you have control over your own asset. I feel like that's maybe the first time in in uh, you know, like digital history, right? So in the past, we can hold cash, we can hold gold, uh, we can hold a lot of different other like precious metal, right, with us, right? However, now we are actually lack a, a portable method of owning your own assets, and crypto is in, is like just in nature better than fiat on that part. Um, however, like it's also kind of a lot of people criticizes about the illegal use case of, of, of crypto, right? So in the past we had like Silk, uh, Silk Road, uh, the dark web marketplace. And uh, even now we still have, you know, AML problems, right? We still have like cross-border, cross like, um, you know, like, uh, like money transfer problems, a lot of different problems. But I feel like in the permissionless world, you know, it should be like everything that allowed by the technology, it actually can be utilized using the technology. However, like we probably need better compliance and better systems to detect like, you know, money laundry or some other like types of illegal activities on the outer part, right? So whenever, whenever there's a transaction that want to, for example, like come from fiat into crypto, or from crypto into fiat, right? So that gateway, it actually can be better KYC, better compliance, and a lot of things that can be done. It's interesting when you brought up that cryptocurrency is almost becoming a, a rich person's game. And I say that as someone that watched a lot of people make millions overnight because they caught it at the right time. And now they've got, you know, like a three with a lot of zeros after it after they've invested in crypto and it's all taken off and then nfts come into the space which make it more productized if you will like you can actually invest in something buy something and own something with crypto and it, it made me think the other day actually that it's becoming easier to get involved with cryptocurrency because they've broken the currencies down if i'm right in saying that like you don't have to buy a full bitcoin let's say you could buy a part of one and it reduces the the entry point for some people but then nfts have a value that may go up or may go down depending on the value of the the currency as well so it, it's so strange to see how the industry is moving and there are still some people that don't necessarily know that crypto exists or don't necessarily know that nfts exist by the time those people will find out the nfts will be all over the place and everything will be an nft before some people know they even exist it's like curse of knowledge for some people they know too much and then on the flip side of the coin there were some people that have no idea 
what's happening, no idea what's going on, but it's almost too late for them to a certain degree because the industry is already taken off. Like it's shooting into the, the stars at the moment. While there are people that have no clue that it's actually happening. How do we balance that? Because I, I pictured a world many years ago now where it was decentralized, worldwide trading, everything was peer-to-peer as such, wallet-to-wallet, let's say, and it felt really good to have that much control and that much freedom at the same time. Now we're in a space where you either know that it's happening or you don't, and those that do know are taking full advantage of the situation. It feels a little bit, I don't want to say elitist, that's probably the wrong word, but you either know or you don't. There's this big knowledge barrier for a lot of people. What What do you think? Sure. I actually get a question a lot like from my friends uh, because like people, some people really like crypto because they, you know, they, you know, for, for various reasons, right? So maybe, you know, they made a lot of money because they know it early you know, maybe they just love the feeling of like trading, right? So it doesn't matter what kind of things they trade, like crypt, crypto stocks, like even shoes, you can trade sneakers, right? So so it's like like the feeling of like the price up and downs. And then some people really, really are really into the technology, really into, you know, control of their own assets, really like to have the freedom, right? So people like crypto for various reasons and people don't like crypto for various reasons as well. You know, a lot of creators that I talk to, they don't, you know, they are, they think NFTs are too commercial, right? They want to keep their community to be kind of pure. Um, And also like uh, people don't like crypto uh, because they think a lot of them are just scams, right? They are, they are built on thin airs. There was no real products with no real realistic roadmaps. Um, and then people just talking about big pictures without really the execution. Um, and that actually happened a lot. Actually, like we've seen it over the history of internet as well, right? So during the tech bubble uh, in the early 2000, uh, a lot of these like internet companies, public companies that still, you know, just, on, just based on thin air uh, with no real product, is it, it's actually the exact same thing that's happening with crypto and with NFT in the past years and with crypto in the past four or five years. And I think, you know, it's, it's actually a sign of early stage industry, right? So I have no doubt myself, right? In believing blockchain as the next generation like tech infrastructure, at least for finance, for assets, for digital assets and for maybe a lot, a lot of other things. Um, however, like we are not only in a tech industry, but also in the finance industry, right? You see Bitcoin, Ethereum price go up and downs. Many people don't even know about the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other, you know, altcoins. Um, everything has really high correlation. Um, so people just tend to overlook at each of the unique characteristics of different tokens, different coins, and what do they really do? Um, so back to your question, I feel like it's definitely like a lot of, a lot of advantages being early, but I think going forward, uh, there are going to be more, less and less correlation between different, um, different coins, right? Different tokens, because there are, there are different teams behind these tokens, right? And then like, they're working on different products. And I feel like, you know, as an early industry, um, you know, the correlation is very high, but in the future, we are going to see more and more kind of discrepancies or, or like decoupling between different tokens, different blockchains. Uh, and also for NFTs, you know, personally, I collect a lot of NFTs. Um, I, cl- I collect mostly, you know, NFT art, uh, digital art. Uh, however, like <clears throat> what we've seen in the past year you know, all the P profile picture, right? The PFP projects, they went up in value. Um, I think there are a couple reasons uh, for it. First of all is like people like to, you know, PFPs are easy for people to go viral, right? To change their social media and then to tell people that they are a part of the community. They are like one of the supporters. Uh, it's just like easier. 
And then like, um, do, like during the pandemic, you know, everyone's, everyone's kind of staying at home and then we are lonely, right? So most of the time, you know, we don't go to workspace and then to see our coworkers. So like metaverse, uh, kind of broad meaning met metaverse, I think it include all the social media like Instagram, like Twitter, uh, Facebook, et cetera, right? So that becomes our, uh, our metaverse, right? So we need, we need these like profile pictures to, uh, to, to really like see ourselves, right? So it's kind of like a, dig a digital version of us. So it's easier to, you know, to, to go viral as well. Um, I just feel like a lot of these projects in the future, um, they are, well, they are some of, some of them, like probably like only 1% or less than 1% of them will really like endure the bear market and the market cycles. Maybe most of them will just fade away um, because, you know, it just, we are, you know, we are in the early stage and then like everything is kind of based on hype, especially in the NFT space. Um, I think like for me personally, like when I collect, I tend to look at different things like community, like if there's a um, strong community, if there's like even historical value, if there's artistic value, you know, who are the people behind the artwork, right behind the project? And then what do they trying to achieve? Uh, how, how, how well they can execute, right? So a lot of different things, but most people buy in NFTs Buying NFT is just because of the hype. I think that is not healthy. Just out of curiosity, Felix, did you buy art before NFTs became digital art? I actually did not buy art before NFTs. Uh, NFT is kind of my starting place for collecting art. Um, and then, like, the, I would say almost everything that I bought. Um, uh, are you know are digital right so their original form is digital because i see that that's how you know nft can be valuable for these digital art right before nfts um digital like digital art is just and you know ha can have a lot of copies right so you, you you see like in the art world digital art has been maybe composing of like five percent or less than ten percent of uh annual revenue for the whole industry before. However, now with NFTs, uh, you have limited editions, right? Whether you have one editions or 10 editions or 50 editions, you have a limited number, right? So that actually accrued the value of uh, digital art. And also like, like think about it, like why Mona Lisa is valuable because everyone knows about Mona Lisa, right? Uh, it actually like, I feel like for the digital age, you know, all these memes, right? All these like digital art, they can be popular and then they can be valuable at the same time. Um, I don't mind, you know, people share people sharing my collections. Actually, like I love people sharing my collections uh, because the more people know, the more people know about these artworks, the more valuable they are. It actually has uh, the network effect, just like uh, the internet. It seems like people need to be convinced, I guess, that digital art are not just GIFs and pictures and cartoons, that they do hold some value outside of the picture. And the example that, that I've heard before is the fact that bored apes which are one of the original NFTs, if I might be wrong in saying that, but they're one of the, the first NFTs. They were the first sort of valuable NFTs, mostly because if you could probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, Felix, but they are related to a yacht club, is that right? And they get certain accesses to the, the yachts and the boats and those kinds of things, which then bumps up the price of the picture because it corresponds to something as you mentioned before with smart contracts you get access to certain things don't you well i think you are half right there <laughs> um to my knowledge uh, i don't think board ape is has anything related into like uh, a yacht club right or nor they own like yachts uh for the members right but they are they are like in some in some ways a membership right so it's like 
if I hold a board ape, you know, it's kind of like I can see another board ape on social media and we instantly connect because like we are we are part of the community. And it's, it's the same for CryptoPunk, it's the same for, uh, you know, some other different, uh, different series. Um, so it's more like a community, it's more like a membership, but I think the most of the time it, uh, it doesn't mean anything physical, uh, to be honest. Uh, but I do think, you know, Board Ape community has very strong connections within each other and they, all, they are always trying to, you know, expand, right? To increase the utility of uh, Board Apes and even like buying the copyright of punks, uh, crypto punks and Mebit, Mebit and then return to the community. So I think that, you know, they are doing some really good things for the community as well. Uh, I think right now, like the, the team behind Board Ape uh, is called Yuga, Yuga Labs. And they are, they just raised a big round of $450 million at $4.5 billion valuation to build a metaverse that integrate different, you know, NFTs, right? So whatever you hold, uh, you know, NFTs, uh, what kind of NFTs, right? So you can always use it within the metaverse that they're building. So it's kind of like a sandbox game uh, where you can have game experiences uh, with your NFTs, you know, with your communities. It's kind of like they're trying to build a place that all these community can hang out. Uh, I think, you know, I think that's very interesting because at the end of the day, a profile picture uh, can only go beyond being like a profile picture uh, in a setting, right? In a social setting. Uh, so everyone can use them as really as their avatar and, and, and to, uh, to social with other people. So is that where, with the, um, with the metaverse that you mentioned there, is that where we'd have to somehow create a model of the NFT to allow it to be our avatar in this virtual world? Like, let, let's say you hold a board ape as an example. That's, as far as I'm aware, that's still just a picture that gives you access to this membership and this club and that sort of thing. With metaverse and virtual reality, you can't just walk around with a picture. Mm. It'd have to be a person or an avatar of some kind. Would the company that created NFTs have to then turn it into some kind of virtual model avatar of the NFT to be able to walk around as that NFT? I think so. Yes, I think so. Uh, a lot of projects they are doing, uh, they are kind of doing the 3D model um, you know, to prepare for metaverse games, right? Not only just one metaverse game, it's more like for all the metaverse games. Uh, one good thing about metaverse on blockchain is the composability, right? Meaning if you have one NFT, uh, you can actually use it in multiple different games or uh, metaverse, right? So it's the same thing. If you have one, you know, 3D model that, you know, it can, you know, highly likely to, to see it, you know, in different metaverse as well. Uh, sometimes it's done by the project team, and sometimes, you know, it's done by volunteers, right? Done by fans. Um, yeah. So, so like, uh, I think I think the most amazing part about metaverse and NFTs are just being permissionless, right? Anyone can join these like these these communities. Um, sometimes, but then like sometimes I feel like you know these like profile pictures are kind of the, you know, the, the gated community. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's sometimes good, and but, you know, sometimes it's bad, right? It's not inclusive enough, right? For example, like Board Ape is so expensive right now. So it definitely feels like it's kind of exclusive. So what's stopping the scenario where 20 people that did really well in crypto up. They're not really playing with their own money because of how little they invested in to begin with. They buy all of the expensive NFTs, which then forces the the price to escalate. But it's not really their money. Let's say they invested during the boom, right, where they put a little bit in and it a hundred x in a couple of weeks or something. And they're then the kinds of people that can only really afford the 
the higher value NFTs and the metaverse systems that you mentioned, Sandbox, if I'm right as well. What's stopping that scenario, if there is anything stopping that scenario? And does that not make it feel, as you mentioned, difficult to get involved because of how expensive everything is? But the only people that are actually doing it are the people that benefited from the previous boom of crypto it's kind of like a pyramid where only the people that reach the top are the people that did well initially um sure i mean like that first of all i think that happens to almost all industries right so if you are being early in the industry you can enjoy the growth right but it's more so in crypto right in the nft space because uh, over the past two years you know everyone everything was just like happening too fast right so people like like you said you know some people put in like small amount of money and they got 100x even though like this is this is a very low probability thing uh, you know you, you see more projects is just going to zero right so uh net net you know you have like the small lucky group i guess um but still like that's i think if there's one thing that i that i don't really like about crypto about nfts is being like kind of like the the, the majority of the wealth uh, or the value is controlled by a small group of people. I think you know that that's the same problem with our society as well, right? Um, within crypto space and outside of crypto space. So um, I feel like you know for crypto, this is kind of like one thing that's um, self select self selection in a way, right? So before that, so before you know we've seen Ethereum being the most popular, right? So uh, at the beginning of 2020. Uh, it holds like 100% of all the DeFi value, right? So all the liquidity is locked on uh, Ethereum smart contract. However, Ethereum becomes more and more expensive and, and sometimes, you know, it's slow and people are, you know, people walk, right? People walk to different other blockchains that offers higher speed, uh, cheaper transactions. And then now you see like Ethereum only accounts for 60% of all the liquidity locked in smart contract. So it's the same thing with like NFTs, right? So you have all these like crazily expensive NFTs like Bored Apes, like CryptoPunk. And now people just unable, right? They are unable to get into the community. So what? So they, they form new communities. Uh, and they, you know, they try to criticize about these like old communities because they are too exclusive, right? So in a way that you have kind of the, um, like the, the, the rich people, the rich class, and then you have the middle class, right? And everyone's kind of like can, can build their own build their own communities. So I feel like that's a way for self-selecting. Uh, if you are able to build a community that attracts the most people, you know, even free to play, right? And then using some, some other methods to, to have like a bigger community. And I feel like over time you will win. Um, all these like small, exclusive, expensive communities. At the end of the day, they, they are going to lack. There are going to be lack of creativity because they have less people. Um, and the same thing with blockchain. Same thing with crypto. Um, same thing with like technology space as well. Um, so I am a big fan of really being permissionless and then like you know, uh, just like letting everyone be able to play something. Um, and uh, going forward, I think we can have more users, a healthier like ecosystem. What would you say to so few people having access to the majority of the wealth? And you mentioned that that's very similar to society anyway. Is that a little bit disheartening to hear? Like we're just recreating the past a little bit, but it's just got virtual instead of... I guess more traditional, the way a lot of countries are structured right now, that can feel, let's say you took a, a skeptical view of the crypto space and the, and the digital space, Web3 I think it's called, how it's just recreating what happened previously, like we've not got better, you know, you know when you sort of think, yes, more transparency, bit more privacy, a lot more control, digital ownership, and then from the 30,000 foot view, nothing's really changed. Few people owning the majority of everything. It's just going digital this time. Yes, I feel like that's the sad truth that we are facing right now. 
uh, and it just like became like even faster than our society because you know the wealth of our society is accumulated over hundreds of years uh, but for crypto it's only accumulated for the past you know 10 years uh, so actually thir yeah 13 years so um, yeah I, I feel like you know it's uh, it's one thing that um, you know that that I don't I don't like about uh, I don't like about the the space right um, however I feel like with more and more applications uh, that build on different blockchains and also like more and more users uh, we can see kind of like the fundamental growth right so maybe not like in terms of like token price but more on the adoption side right so you know right right now like I feel like the space have like web3 space or crypto space have a few like a few number like a few number of uh, wealthy users right so each user's lifetime value is super high um, what I want to see in the space is really better products and better user journey better user experience that can drive massive amount of smaller users or just you know like new users that first time uh, you know into crypto or first time into the space and then like they don't they don't have to have a lot of money to be part of it i appreciate you being honest about that because you're an advocate for the space and yet you've got some concerns with the way it's going so i appreciate you being so honest about that felix i can't have been uh completely easy to share do you think this whole thing will come to a head? Do you think it will get worse before it gets better? Where do you see the future going? Sure. Um, I feel like, you know, like I said, you know, this industry is a tech industry, like in, in the fundamental side, and also a finance industry kind of on the price side, right? So you always have the price up and downs, you know, green, green candle, like red candles every single day and have high volatility. So for me is more like, you know, we just get our heads down and then keep on building the infrastructure, the application that are, that are valuable, that are useful for the, the industry, right? So some even maybe, you know, push the industry forward. So a lot, and then there are a lot of like-minded like people like, you know, like us, like me, right? So we, we see like kind of the same problem. And then like, you know, we see a lot of problems like in, you know, in the, uh, the, cent the centralization of wealth. We see a lot of problems in, you know, user experience, high barrier. We see a lot of problems in like in privacy, right? So, and there are many teams that working hard to solve these problems, at least like the latter two, right? So, um, yeah, so like I've, you know, I'm still very optimistic about industry. And then one thing that I feel like it's <clears throat> like in nature, this industry is cyclical. Right, so uh, the tech on the tech side, you have a good trajectory, um, kind of more stable trajectory of growth. But on the price side, right, on the finance side, you always have cycles. In the last cycle, you know, Bitcoin was down ninety percent, and here on this cycle, you know, it's been down for 40 percent. Um, and are we at the bottom yet? I'm I'm not sure about that. Uh, to be honest, right? But this industry has always, you know, had cycles and will keep having cycles in the future. So sometimes when people have like weak hand and cannot see through the finance cycle and see the really intrinsic value of technology, they leave, right? And then all these technologies, sometimes people say, you know, crypto is like a big casino, right? Uh, and then like, there are just a lot of different, you know, finance applications, you know, NFTs, um, even pump and dumps like happening in the industry. But we have to see, you know, why, right? So why is this technology so powerful that can be used in like so many different cases and with better, you know, with some regulation, with more compliance, you know, if this industry can achieve a lot more of its potential. Um, so these are the things that, you know, like we should think about. I still think it's still uh, an early doors, isn't it? It's still in the early stages. There's still lots of lessons being learned, I'm sure. Trying to balance the technology side with the finance side and how it can 
be user-friendly, as you said, and have this balance between transparency, privacy. Do you think it's worth individuals having control over how much data they show in this fight for privacy? And then do you think for transparency there should be a minimum amount that everyone has to meet to allow for the the transparency how how do you see the future of your work as well like is there a a golden era if you will for for the stuff that you're up to sure uh, i think the holy grail is to combine both right privacy plus transparency and using uh, some kinds of uh, cryptographic algorithms uh, doing the verifiable computation that you can prove something, but not by, by not showing something to others. Uh, I think that's a holy grail. Uh, I think that's also something that we are working towards. Um, like the application right we, we are working on right now is a verifiable random number source, right? So it's more on the application side uh, to provide more transparency on anything that requires randomness. So true randomness. Um, I think that's that's a baby step, but you know it's definitely some something good that our industry should have. Um, and also, like back back to the question of like being early, <clears throat> I do think our industry is still very early because like uh, before 2020, uh, we haven't seen any applications, right? So there are, there are a lot of people trying out different applications, but until 2020, we had the first vertical, um, you know, DeFi. Right, DeFi is kind of mimicking the uh, the traditional finance, but you know, with automated, unstoppable smart contract. So your money is not on hold with like it's not under custody of any institutions, but in a smart contract. And then all the logics are automatic. You, uh, we've seen a lot of hacks on you know smart contract on DeFi protocols, but because we are still very early stage, you know, we are lack of back best practice. We are lack of like a lot of different, you know, uh, auditing and libraries for for these like back pra best practice. Um, yeah, so uh, so that's the first vertical, and the second vertical is really NFTs, and it became very popular in 2020 last year, right? So I think in the like going forward, uh, we'll have more and more applications, especially on the digital asset side, and then in terms of like digital data on data side. Um, I feel like you know everyone should control their data, uh, and also like everyone should have the privacy of the of their data, right? So it it actually kind of rhymes with what I said about transparency plus privacy. Um, I think you know I think for data we might take a little longer time versus digital asset, uh, which is some sort you know in some ways like more valuable. But we are we should be getting there you know with a lot of like talent you know working working on on these like on these uh different issues is part of the concern then that things like we spoke about there everything from trying to mimic some traditional methods to give some people a bit more safety and control and a handle on the information sharing do you think it's a concern that that's not moving as quickly as the technology is because of you know Moore's law and things like that of the technology doubling every so often and getting quicker and all those things do you think that is becoming a concern now because that's moving quicker than the, I guess, more human element. Like the humans aren't moving as quick as the technology is. Sure, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I believe for a decentralized system or a permissionless system on blockchain, every process should be, you know, on chain or at least like automated by smart contracts. Um, so what what does mean is what it means. Um, is actually we don't rely on traditional finance or a bank or a financial institutions or institutional investors uh, to complete all these transactions. Everything is actually written in the smart contract. Um, for example, a bank, like what, what, uh, what's the kind of mechanism for an on-chain bank like Aave, like Compound? These banks, they put user assets, they pull user assets into a smart contract. And then 
there are also like the borrower and the lender, right? The two sides. And they, you know, they can just interact with the smart contract and get a loan, get, a, get an over collateralized loan uh, from, you know, from the lender. And then the middle, the middleman, right? The uh, like Aave and Compound, all these on-chain like blockchain banks, they only charge a small fraction of the fee versus the bank, right? The traditional financial institutions. Um, so it actually gives a lot more uh, kind of, uh, it actually charge a lot, a lot less fees uh, compared to the banks. So that's why people, uh, people come to, you know, on-chain banks and use their, you know, de decentralized applications. Um, there has been, uh, there has been talks about security tokens, STO, for the past, if I remember correctly, for the past five years. But it had very slow progress because it has to deal with the government, right, the uh, regulate, regulatory entities. So I feel like, you know, for the technology, it kind of like just based on, for now, we are just based on crypto assets, which are in nature, decentralized and permissionless. However, if we going forward, uh, I think there's kind of slow uh, merge between the crypto space, the Web3 space and the traditional finance space. And that requires more and more compliance, more and more KYC and a lot of process that require you know, human attention. And that takes maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe even maybe even longer, you know, to achieve. So to shift gears a little bit, what are you up to outside of work and business and all those things? How do you keep yourself grounded and functioning? Because you deal with a lot of numbers, you deal with a lot of data on a, a daily basis. What do you do outside of that? Sure, uh, sure. I, I mean, like, I devote most of most of my time into uh, the startup that I'm doing, and also to you know after work, you know I, I like to browse NFTs, right? I like to browse like NFT art, digital art, uh, and sometime you know last year, uh, actually uh, post pandemic, uh, our whole team became remote, uh, and then like I actually haven't met. Uh, several people on my team since like we hired them like on a remote basis. Uh, and then like I, I, uh, I spent some time like in Hainan, which is an island on, you know, in China and also in, in Puerto Rico and in some other places, you know, all these nice places. So I can, I can learn uh, sailing and I also learned kite surfing. So usually like my schedule by the beach is to work during the morning, early morning throughout, you know, the lunch, and I go kite surfing or I go sailing for like three, four hours and then coming back, have dinner and then like keep on working in the night. So that has been my schedule for uh, uh, like uh, several months past year. And I really liked it. You know, it actually like I feel like more energetic that way. Since the pandemic, have you found it easier to balance those things or has it been more more difficult because as someone that likes the leisure time as well that's kind of what what i like to prioritize on certain days i found that i have a hard time when i don't have somewhere to go like i don't have a place to go where i do the thing that i want to do we do it all from home because the convenience is to do it there's also a convenience to not do it like there's no massive commitment needed to do the thing have you had any experience with that of course, I feel like that's a huge, um, that's a huge kind of culture shock when people first switch to all remote working. And even so, when you have a team that, that work collaborate across several different time zones, right? For us right now, we are collaborating between three different time zones, you know, US East Coast, US West Coast, and, uh, and China. Um, so, you know, it's definitely like, we definitely had a lot of hard time uh, meeting each other, you know, collaborating, have meetings, you know, schedule meetings. Um, and I feel like, like remote working is something that I, I think inevitable uh, down the road because, you know, you have talents all over the world. And then 
the more talented they are, you know, the less they're less willing to come to an office and to work. Um, yeah, so so people, right? I think like the younger generation, like Gen Z, they care about their freedom. They care about their, you know, their assets. They care about their privacy, and even so, they care about you know where they are physically. Um, so, uh, and they, they are all global citizens. Um, I feel like you know we are we are going towards uh, remote working is actually very beneficial for the whole society, um, and for us. Uh, you know, we have to select the best, you know, we have to work with, you know, the best and the brightest, right, who are driven by themselves, not driven by the boss. Um, you know, it is actually like a very hard process to get used to and also like being selective on candidates. So we, we are very careful on, you know, who, are, who we work with and then who do we add into the team. And I feel like that's, that's one uh, hard part of working remote. To round off the interview, Felix, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Last question for you is, if someone wanted to get started in crypto and NFT and they've heard the buzzword thousands of times and now they want to figure out how to get involved, they want to join the, the digital space web3 crypto blockchain all those things how would you suggest the first three to five steps for them to take to to join us in the future <laughs> okay great <laughs> so um i think like the the best uh the best social media uh for web3 is still twitter right so follow the right people on twitter you know, they, whether they are you know, founders or they work for, they are partners at some like renowned funds like A6 and Z, Paradigm. Uh, and then like read, read a couple of pieces on, you know, what is Web3, what is DeFi, what is NFT, uh, all these basics. And then get a wallet, you know, MetaMask or Phantom Wallet on, uh, on Solana or MetaMask on EVM chains. Um, and get a little bit of crypto on Coinbase or Binance or some other exchanges, um, withdraw it to your MetaMask, and then find a cheap, cheaper chain, right? You don't have to start on Ethereum. You can start on Solana. You can st start on Avalanche uh, or some other EVM-compatible blockchains and uh, try to use their DeFi, right? So usually they will give out some, some yield, maybe like, 5% for your USDC stable coins, right? That's better than the bank. Um, and, or, you know, just pick up like a very cheap NFTs. You don't need to buy anything that expensive, right? Buy a cheap NFTs, join their community, uh, join their, uh, follow their Twitter, join their Discord, and then to see how it feels, you know, to be part of the community. Um, and I feel like, you know, the best way is to just do it, right? Uh, we have, and we have like a lot of user-friendly, you know, crypto applications um, and you can, you can try it out and sometimes you can make money, sometimes you can make some fun. So, so yeah, I think that's the uh, closing remark. How can people find out more about you, Felix, share your companies, all those things that you've got going on. And if people wanted to find out more, then where can they go? Sure. Follow me on Twitter, um, Felix, F-E-L-I-X-M as Mango and X-U, my last name. So uh, uh, I sometimes <clears throat> I post things about, you know, ARPA. I post things uh, about DeFi and I sometimes post things about NFTs. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. For those that are listening, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Leave a review wherever you are listening into your podcast and feel free to share the show, tell others, spread the word and I look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode. Felix, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It was great to have you on. Thank you, Michael. And thanks for everyone listening. Thank you. If you want to join a community of like-minded people that are on the journey for health, wealth, and happiness, then my fulfillment community, my inner circle, is for you. You get continuous support from myself and also the opportunity to be supported, helped, 
guided and collaborate with the other members as well. And also you get the chance to ask my podcast guests questions. Plenty of people in there already. So if you click the link in the description for the episode, you get access to a two-month free trial and you're under no obligation to continue and you can cancel whenever you want. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey.